0: What is up everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sean Jones NBA show. I'm recording this on Friday afternoon, January 19th, because we had a big, big trade happen earlier this week where Pascal Siakam was dealt to the Indiana Pacers. We knew it was probably coming soon. Uh, it was a little sooner than most people probably thought, considering the deadline is still a few weeks away. But i uh, going to talk through both sides of this deal, what this means for Indiana and Siakam moving forward. Uh, how did the Raptors do with their haul? And what does this mean for them moving forward after dealing not only him, but also OG Ananobi Anobi uh, a couple weeks ago. So with that being said, let's get right into it. So, starting off with the parameters of the deal, the Pacers received obviously Pascal Siakam. They also got a 2024 second round pick that came from the Pelicans, who are a third team that were looped into this deal. They did not receive anything, but they did dump the Kyra Lewis Jr. contract on the Raptors and also gave that second round pick to the Pacers. So, in addition to Kyra Lewis, the Raptors also got Bruce Brown, Jordan Nuora, and three first round picks. Two of those will come in 2024, with a third one coming in 2026. So, starting off with the Pacers side of things, this deal genuinely feels like a match made in heaven for them. It is exactly what they needed as a secondary piece next to Tyrese Halliburton. Siakam, I don't know if he's having his best season this year, but he is just so underratedly solid. He's made either an All-NBA team or an All-Star team in three of the past four seasons. He's been as high as second-team All-NBA back in 2020. The only year that he didn't make either an All-NBA team or an All-Star team in the past four years was 2021, and if you remember, that was a little bit of a weird year, especially for the Raptors because they were not allowed to play in Toronto due to regulations with COVID. So they actually played all of their home games in Tampa Bay that year. And the Raptors had a really bad year that year. Um, it, it makes sense. I mean, they weren't sleeping in their home uh, their own bed throughout the entire season. They d- basically didn't have home games. I mean, it's not like there's any Raptors fans in Florida. <laughs> Um, So it was a weird year, kind of a throwaway year for them. But he's been phenomenal every other year over the past couple. And in just the past five years, including this year, he's averaged 23, 8, and 5. So he has been not only a go-to scorer for this team, he's a good rebounder. He is a very underrated passer and playmaker, and he's always been a solid defender. But to me, with Indiana, this he really checks three big boxes for this team and three things that they really lacked on their roster before this deal. The first one is just a two man game with Halliburton. I know that Halliburton runs plenty of pick and rolls with uh, Miles Turner, but Miles Turner is a very limited offensive player. He's predominantly a guy that just can score close to the basket or shoot a uh, catch and shoot three. He's not a shot creator. He's not a particularly good passer. He does not, not that he is a low IQ player, but it's not like he excels as a decision maker, but Siakam does all of those things. He is an extremely good decision maker with the basketball. He is a very good passer and playmaker for this team. He ranks in the 90th percentile or better in terms of assist percentage each of the past four seasons. So, That's not even just for forwards, that is for all players. So he's been one of the best as a playmaker and passer with the ball in his hands. He makes good decisions. He can finish in the paint. He can pick and pop. He can shoot a little in the mid-range, very solid mid-range shooter. He's also can shoot from outside uh, in the three-point range. It's certainly not a strong point of his. I mean... He typically shoots in the low 30s. He's 32% this season, 33% from three for his career. But it's not like he's shooting massive volume. He's normally three to four threes per game, keeps the defense honest. And you do have to uh, guard him out there. It's not like you can just leave him wide open. He's good enough, but it's obviously not a strength. But he excels as a slasher, um, getting to the basket, All things that bode really well for a two-man game with a point guard as elite as Halliburton is. And as far as running the pick and roll, I mean, there might not be anybody better than Halliburton at that right now. Uh, The next thing he helps out immensely with is just as a secondary shot creator, a scorer, and a playmaker. I alluded to these a little bit already, but... Um, it's crazy when you think about it from a scoring perspective because the Pacers have been the number one offensive team not only in the league this year, but in NBA history just because where the league is headed right now. But strangely enough, they're one of only four teams that only has one player averaging 18 points per game or more. And if you look at the rest of those teams, it's not a great company to be in. The Wizards are one of them. They are 7-32, and 32, just a, a terrible team this year, terrible. They've been all year, as we uh, suspected coming into the year. The next one is the Warriors, who have been a complete mess this season. I've, I've spoken at length as uh, well as many others have at just how much of a, a mess they've been, and they're not even in the play-in right now. And then the Houston Rockets, who have had a pretty nice season overall, but they're 6-12 and in their last 18 games, so they really struggled. They've been terrible on the road, um, and right now they're not even in the play-in picture. And given the landscape of the Western Conference, I would be a little surprised if they did end up making the plan. Um, just cause I think they may be a little ahead of schedule there, but then that leaves just the Pacers as the fourth team. So they're the only like good team that doesn't have a second guy averaging at least 18 points per game, which I know sounds like an arbitrary number, but I mean, they don't have a go-to guy outside of Halliburton is, is really the point of this. Um, and what does this say about their team? Because they are first in the NBA in offense, but they only have one top score and it, to me, it just means that Halliburton is having to do a lot for this team. Obviously, he's scoring in the mid-20s on a nightly basis, so I'm not even talking from a scoring perspective. He's having to carry the load. But he's just having to generate so, so much for this team. I mean, basically, it's him and a bunch of role players, and all when they score, it is extremely reliant on him to get them the ball in their spots. They're not built with a ton of players that can go get you a bucket. Um, just to put into perspective, um, Halliburton's, uh Sorry, Matherin is probably the the best on the team outside of Halliburton in terms of being a shot creator and getting his own shot. He's uh, 76th percentile in terms of um, isolation scoring. But if you go down the list, Miles Turner is only 46th percentile. Buddy Heald is fifth percentile, um, and then Nismith, Toppin, and Nemhart to round out the rotation. Those guys don't even have 10 isolation situations in the whole year, so they don't even have enough to qualify uh, to be ranked in that percentile. So these guys are not guys that are going out and getting their own shot. I mean, if you look at the percentage of shots uh, they're scoring that's assisted on, uh, Top Toppin ranks in the ninth percentile in terms of uh, <laughs> his shots being assisted on. 88% of his shots are assisted on. Jalen Smith, another big in the rotations, 83%. That's 18th percentile. Isaiah Jackson, another big, 81% of his shots. Jordan Nawara, 84% of his shots become assisted. Buddy Healed, 82 of them. Miles Turner, 79. Aaron Neesmith, 80. So that's like these guys basically cannot score unless they're being uh, set up from somebody else. The, pretty much their whole roster, excluding Halliburton, and then some of their guards like McConnell, Bruce Brown, Matherin. Um, but uh, Bruce Brown's not even on the team anymore. And McConnell, you're not really going to play with Halliburton. So it really just leaves Matherin as a guy who can go get a shot outside of Halliburton. And the other aspect is as a playmaker, as I mentioned. Siakam has, is a 91st percentile in assist percentage this season. He was 96 last year. He's been 90-plus each of the last four years. McConnell and Nemhart are fine there. McConnell's 95th percentile. Like, he's a very good passer and playmaker. But again, he's undersized and he's not going to be closing games with Halliburton. So that's really an either or him or Halliburton, not a guy you can play with him. And then Nemhart is fine. He's a combo guard, 79th percentile. Uh, but again, he's not playing a ton of minutes next to Halliburton. Um, it's mostly going to be him with the, uh, the big and then uh, w- wings out there that are shooters. So looking at the rest of the shooters on the team, Buddy Heald, he is only 55th percentile in terms of um, assist percentage. Matherin's 42, so even though he can get his own shot, he's not a playmaker. He's a little bit of a black hole at times. Obi Toppin, 36th percentile. Miles Turner, 17th. Aaron Neesmith, 11th percentile. So he's a massive black hole. So basically, this team offensively is constructed of... Halliburton, um, a versatile offensive wing in Miles Turner. And by versatile, I just mean that he can shoot and score a little bit inside, but not much else. Um, And then a bunch of really just shooters, guys that are relying on other players in order to get good looks. And since they have someone as good as Halliburton at getting them good looks, they've been getting plenty of good looks, which has led them to be so good offensively. But they're just so, so reliant on him there. Um, because if he's not generating those shots, then they're not coming. So Siakam adds a huge, huge, um, just takes the load off of um, Halliburton to set up other guys and to go be able to go get a shot without having to be set up. These are just two elements that they do not have on the team right now. And then it's no secret that they're not good, a good defensive team. They've been in the bottom five. Of, the league, the entire season, in terms of um, defensive rating, and it's because they're really just built with a ton of wings that are small and not very good on that end. I mean, Matherin is got a little bit of size; he's about six six, but he is not a very good defender at this point in his career. Buddy Heald has never been a good defender, and he's only six four. I mean, he's. Honestly, the size of a point guard, but because he's not a good hand, ball handler and can shoot so well, he normally plays the two guard. Nemhard again, is a combo guard. He's 6'4", 6'5", just not going to be able to guard bigger wings. And six 6'6", but he he can guard a little bit out there. But again, they had him guarding Giannis in these games against the Bucs. That is just not going to work in a playoff series if you're putting Aaron Nismith on Giannis you need a bigger more versatile defender to be able uh, out there guarding him then if you look at their bigger players Obi Toppin is just simply one of the worst defenders in the league he cannot guard anybody out there he's slow-footed on that end and just doesn't have the um, strength and quickness to to stay with guys and then Jalen Smith and Miles Turner both of them are good rim protectors especially Turner he's led the league in blocks uh, a number of years in the NBA but neither of them are versatile defenders. They can't guard the perimeter. They're pretty much guys you want to camp in the paint and uh, be help defenders, but th- they're not guarding the perimeter well. They're not guys you can like go stick out on a Joel and beat and have really any effectiveness. So they're really just help rim protectors, and they thrive there, but that's all they can do. Meanwhile, Siakam is 6'8", 6'9". He is extremely versatile on the offensive end. He can pretty much guard 2 through 5. I mean, you can put him on a... Um, a bigger guard out there on the perimeter and he'll be able to hold his own. But he also has played plenty of center in Toronto. I mean, they were playing a lot of small ball with him at that position um, throughout the, the past few seasons. So he can guard bigs. He can guard the perimeter. He does all of it well. So he's going to help immensely there. He's easily by far their best perimeter defender on the team now. He's also their best second best scorer. He's their second best playmaker. So he's just going to do so many things for this team and so many things that they don't have any of, except for Halliburton on the offensive end. So I just love this fit. I think that he is going to be everything that they need in terms of improving them defensively, as well as just taking the load off of Halliburton a bit. And this is honestly a credit to Halliburton because they don't make this trade if he hasn't ascended to the point where he has this year. Um if he wasn't already basically a top 15-ish player in the league, there's just no way they make this deal. I mean, he's averaging 24, half assists, four rebounds, basically almost 50, 40, 90 shooting. He's a couple percentage points under 50% and 87% from the free throw line. But, I mean, he's a modern-day Steve Nash with more volume, basically. So if he's not as effective as he's been this season, if he hasn't taken that leap into top – 15 borderline top 10 type player then this trade doesn't happen because Siakam's already 29 he's an expiring contract so there are risks involved with it and it's not like their timelines necessarily match up perfectly um, but just credit to him because they see an opportunity to get better now to win now because of how good he's been and this is the exact kind of move that they uh, need to make to to elevate their team to that level um, in terms of what they gave up Three picks might sound like a lot on the surface. And I know people get obsessed with picks in these deals, but I just wanna say not all picks are created equally. Their twenty twenty four pick that they gave up is not gonna be a lottery pick. I mean, they are right now they are the seven seed, but they're only one game out of the four seed, only three games out of the three seed, and only four games out of the two seed. So, like if Halliburton comes back from his injury soon and siakam is set to make his debut potentially tonight i mean they might climb up the standings they could be a four seed if philadelphia falters a little bit they could get to the three seed so like their pick is could easily be in the 20s this year so it's not like this is some great pick that they're trading and then if you look at the other 2024 pick they game it actually has (laughs) a ton of swaps involved So it is the worst among four different teams between the Jazz, Rockets, Clippers, OKC. Whoever has the best record among that group, that's the pick that conveys uh, to the Raptors here, which right now would be Oklahoma City. Um, And I believe it would be like the 27th pick or something right now. So this is basically going to be like the 20th overall pick and the 27th overall pick for the season. Not to mention, this is a very weak draft draft. Um, people are saying it's one of the worst, maybe the worst since 2013, uh, when Anthony Bennett went number one overall, I know the year 2000 was also a very weak draft. People have compared it to those. There's not a clear cut number one pick right now. doesn't seem like there's a ton of depth either. So this is not a draft that is overly valuable to have a ton of picks and especially not picks in the, in the twenties. So both of those picks, I mean, they might be able to move up. Maybe they'll use them both, but this is not a high-risk investment, giving away those two picks uh, in, on Indiana side. And then the 2026 pick, it's top four protected, so they end up having some disaster season and fall in the lottery. It's not like they're going to give away a top four pick or anything like that. But also, given Halliburton's age and the fact that they're probably going to re-sign Siakam, I mean, two years from now, I, I'd be sh- shocked if they weren't in the playoffs. So again— three non-lottery picks one of them that's going to be the very back end of the draft most likely it's not a lot to give up in my opinion i just don't think that there should be any like hesitancy on indiana's side to part with those picks and then if you look at the players i mean bruce brown has a he's got a team option but essentially was operating as an expiring contract and then jordan Wora just hasn't been able to crack the rotation anywhere he's been Um, And they were able to keep Jairus Walker, who's only 20 years old. They were able to keep Aaron Neesmith, who's only 24 years old. They were able to keep Ben Matherin, who's only 21 years old. And Bruce Brown's having a good year. I'm sure they could have gotten value for him. He was playing well for them, but he is a little bit overpaid. Like I said, it's essentially an expiring contract, and he's never going to be anything more than a high-level role player. Um, The only caveat here is that they better, better sign Siakam because – I know the three picks aren't phenomenal picks, but three picks are still three picks. And this team has drafted well, so you'd have to think that them having those picks is a little bit more valuable than some other teams having those picks. So if they don't sign Siakam and he walks at the end of this year, it would be basically a five, six-month rental, and it would be a total disaster. Like this, this could genuinely go down as one of the worst trades ever if he does not resign because Indiana is not really a free agent destination in general anyway. They weren't going to have a ton of cap space. Um, and so just losing him would definitely set them back. But I'm not really worried about it. Um, Woj had a quote saying that basically this was his preferred de- destination if he was going to get dealt um, and that Indiana's pretty confident that they were going to be able to re-sign him. There were reports that the Kings were interested, the Warriors were interested, but that Siakam basically said that he didn't want to re-sign there, so they pulled out. I mean, they didn't make real offers. Meanwhile, Indiana had no problem making a real offer, which makes me think that he probably gave a little wink-wink that he's going to want to stay. Plus, who's going to sign him? I mean, all the good teams don't have cap space. What's he going to lead to go to like Detroit or something like that? A team that you might think could be interesting is like Orlando because they have cap space, but that is the last thing they need is another scoring playmaking forward given that they have friends, Wagner and uh, Paolo. So I would be pretty, pretty surprised if he didn't resign. So that there is the risk of that to make this not a good deal for them, but I just, I'm not worried about it. Um, I think it is a risk worth taking for this team given where they're at, given what they have, given the things that, They needed to upgrade. I think he checks all of the boxes for this team. In terms of them as a contender, are they championship contenders? No, still no. Um, They're certainly much improved before. They were looking probably like a surefire playing team, maybe seven or eight seed. Now, I think it's very realistic to think they could compete for a top four seed. Um, I would expect them to Like I said, they're only a few games back from there anyway, so I I wouldn't be surprised if they got as high as the three seed this season. Um, Could they sneak into the Eastern Conference Finals this year? I think it's possible. Um, Before this, they were probably a lock to lose in the first round. But look, I'd probably pick them over the Knicks right now, and I, I wouldn't have picked them over the Knicks before this deal. If they played Miami, Miami's always a wild card, but... I think they could beat them. Would I be surprised? Like shocked? Absolutely not. I think it's a, it's a bit of a toss up series. And then could they beat the Bucks or Sixers? Like probably unlikely, but they've played the Bucks well already anyway. Um, I think they beat them two or three times this far this season, and they the Bucks have not been able to stop them offensively at all. So adding Siakam to that offense is only going to make that a taller task for Milwaukee. So look, could they in a world? beat the bucks in a playoff series. I think it's, it's you can't rule it out. So I said I think they could sneak into Eastern Conference Finals if if the matchup broke their way. But I don't see them beating Boston. Boston is still cl- clear leg above them. I think Milwaukee is still a leg above them too, but I just think that's a bit of a bad matchup for the bucks, which is why I can't totally totally rule it out. But also, it'll just make the things more interesting with them if they play Milwaukee or Philadelphia. I think before I probably would have said five game series now I could see it going seven or something like that so they're relevant in the east I'll say that but they're not quite quite in the top tier of contenders quite yet and in order to get there they still are just going to need to be better defensively they're still too bad there. adding Siakam alone does not take them from a bottom five defense to a average defense he's a good defensive player and he's going to help them a ton just being able to guard multiple positions um but one guy just can't have an impact that great on a defense typically. So they still need to add a two-way wing, I would say. I think their wing players are still just subpar defensively across the board. A Ananobi or Mikael Bridges type would be great for them. I don't, like I don't Obviously, I don't think either of those guys are on the table, but that's just an example of the type of player that would be really good for them. If they got a Jeremy Grant who decided to be engaged defensively like he was back in Denver, as opposed to how he's been in Portland and Detroit kind of disengaged there. I think that would be great for them. Um, They also just would be well-served to get some more three and D type role players. They've got a lot of guys who in theory could be that with Mathurin, Neesmith, um, et cetera, but those guys are not very good defenders. So they just need to get guys who can defend. Um, Even if they are just role players, I think it would go a long way. Um, And, to get to a true, true championship contender, I still think they need to add like another really high-impact guy. Um, we, there were some whispers out there. I, I do not think this would happen just given like how well the Clippers are playing right now, but Paul George has not gotten his extension like Kawhi did, um, and he used to play for Indiana. They drafted him. He made a couple Eastern Conference finals with them back in the day, went toe-to-toe with LeBron in the Heat. There were whispers that he would love to play with Halliburton. So that kind of feels like a match made in heaven. I mean, he would just be exactly what they need because he would give them a a third guy that can go get a bucket and play, make a little bit on offense, another great shooter to add to this team, another ball handler to add to the team and another good defender. Um, But I think that'd be a tall task for them to get him one, because I just don't think that he's going to leave the Clippers and two, a sign-and-trade might be kind of difficult. They're not going to have the space to sign him if they sign Siakam. So um, I don't know if they'd be able to match salaries. I don't know if the Clippers would be even willing to negotiate negotiate something like that because it's very rare you get equal value back in a sign-and-trade. But just saying that that would be the type of player that I think would put them there, the caliber of player, another top 25-ish guy, which I know is really hard to come by. um, But they either just need to have a... Big influx of defensive, good role players, like multiple, or a guy like Paul George. Um, and then I think they could get there. I, I seriously think that, like, if they had Paul George on their team, I, I actually think they'd be, like, prob- maybe better than Milwaukee potentially, because I think Halliburton's that good. I think Siakam's that good of a fit. And I think a guy like Paul George would just be exactly what this team needs. But, like I said, probably a bit of a pipe dream, but. It's more just saying, in theory, that's what would get them there. Um, But as of now, like I said, probably a second-round loss team could still lose first round. I mean, the East is tough right now. There's probably seven actually quite good teams between Boston, Milwaukee, uh, Philadelphia, the Knicks, the Heat, the Cavs, and now the Pacers. Those seven teams, three of them are going to lose first round. So Indiana certainly could lose first round, depending on where the seeding falls and what the matchup is. But I think they have a very solid chance to win uh, a series and make the second round now. And I think that there's a, a world in which they upset someone in the second round and make the conference finals. But I think that's where they peak out. But overall, love this deal. Siakam is just going to be awesome there and good for him because he's uh, about to get paid. He's um, right in the heart of his prime. And he was just, <laughs> those Raptors teams were not going anywhere. So I'm happy that he's going to get to play with somebody as awesome as Halliburton is and just be in more of a winning situation because um, he is just such a Swiss army knife type guy, does a little bit of everything. And um, it's exactly what Indiana needed from the Toronto side of things. um, This is fine. I'm not really overly excited about this deal for the Raptors. I think they should have traded Siakam earlier, probably. Because at this point, they pretty much had zero leverage at all. Because, uh, I mean, Siakam could essentially just pick his destination. Because he could just say, oh, yeah, Sacramento's trading for me? Well, I'm not going to resign there. Or, oh, Golden State wants me? They're a mess. I don't want to go there. And with those teams knowing that, there was just no chance that they were going to give up significant assets. So whatever team he wanted to go to and wanted to resign was going to be the team that was going to offer the most because they had that assurance. And so he basically could handpick his team because he had the leverage of being a free agent. And if they traded him a year ago, two years ago, that leverage would not quite have been there. And they probably could have just picked the team that they thought was the best deal. But unfortunately for them, they just waited a little too long. Um, like I said, these picks are just not that great. This is one of the weakest drafts in this century. I mean, by easily the, the weakest one in uh, the last 10 years or so. Um, and they didn't really get any meaningful players back. Like I said, Jordan Nora hasn't been able to crack the rotation anywhere he's been. Bruce Brown's a good player, but he's not a, a guy that's helping Toronto right now. I mean, I think they're probably going to trade him. So at the very least, you can withhold some judgment. Like if they flip Brown for a first round pick, then you could be like, well, they got four first for Siakam. So I guess that's pretty good overall. Um, even with the context of where the picks are. Um, But they also need to start losing more um, because their first-round pick this year goes to San Antonio if it's outside of the top six. So if they get the eighth pick, seventh pick, it goes to the Spurs, which would be just really a bummer for this team given that they're finally, finally deciding to blow it up and they don't even get their first-round pick. So I think it's smart for them to... I think it was smart for them to trade these guys early because they trade OG in December. They trade Siakam weeks before the deadline, which is smart because it just gives them more time to lose games to get into that top six um, because I'm sure they desperately want to be able to keep their pick this year. Um, And at the very least, at least they finally chose a direction because I don't know what the hell they've been doing for the past two years. They're just sitting in the middle, too good to get a top six, seven pick, too bad to make the playoffs most years. And when they do make the playoffs, they're just a obvious first round exit every single year. Um, but, and if I were them, I'd continue to sell trade, Bruce Brown, trade Yaka Pirtle, trade Gary Trent, trade Dennis Schroeder. I mean, these guys are not part of your future, obviously, because you're building around younger players like Scotty Barnes, um, Emmanuel quickly, RJ Barrett. And I think that part of the reason why they, I mean, they obviously the clock was ticking on Siakam and OG, given that they were, impending free agents but another reason why they did this I think is because Scotty Barnes has just been awesome this year I mean he has upped his uh, three-point shooting percentage it was 30 percent his rookie year 28 percent last year he's up to 37 percent this year and he's almost doubled his volume close to six attempts per game he's been more efficient from last season from the field overall Um, his two-point shooting percentage is up uh, four percent from last year He's averaging career-high in assists at just under six, career-high in rebounds uh, at eight a game. He's up above 20 points per game, and he kind of had surpassed Siakam as, like, the guy on the team. It kind of—this was, like, Siakam's team over the past few years, and it did feel like the handing of the torch had started to happen this year. So I think they just want to see what Scotty can do as the clear-cut number-one option, and I don't blame them. He's been so good so far, and he's only 22 years old. After a kind of down sophomore year, people were down on him. But it's not like he was bad. I mean, he still averaged 15, seven and five. Shot forty six percent from the field. Like he's still a good defensive player. He was last year. He is this year. So um, I think it's a. T- it was a tough crowd because he didn't like necessarily take the leap people wanted last year. But he's definitely taking that leap this year um, to a guy who I think has. If Toronto was better, he'd had a legitimate shot at making the All Star team. I think he probably won't just because their record. Um, but so. But I want to talk through Toronto and since their championship in 2019. They have been very poorly run. They have broken up the core completely now, but they have completely botched it. If you go player by player on the players in their rotation from their championship team, it was Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green, Marcus Soule, Serge Ibaka, Norman Powell, Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, um, and then Ogiana Nobby. Um, would have been in the rotation, but he was hurt. Um, and then uh, Pascal Siakam. So that was really their top nine that season, top nine players. So let's just go player by player and see how they left the team. So Kawhi obviously left in tw- this uh, summer of 2019 to go to the Clippers. No shame there. They took a risk trading for him. It paid off. They won a championship. Um, you do that trade 10 out of 10 times. So I'm not knocking them for losing Kawhi. They did all they could to keep him, and um, that was just his choice to leave. Then that same offseason, Danny Green leaves in free agency, so I know he was part of that deal, but they didn't get anything in in return um, for him walking away. Then the next offseason, Marcus Soule leaves in free agency for nothing. Um, He was 35 and kind of washed at that point, so um, I'm not going to fault them for that. I don't even know if they could have gotten anything of value for him anyway. Um, But then that same offseason, Serge Ibaka leaves for nothing, and he was only 30 years old at the time. He averaged 15-8 and for them the year before. So definitely an asset um so he left for nothing they didn't weren't able to recoup any of that value um that they got for trading uh for him a couple years earlier then you go into that next season the 2021 trade deadline they decide to trade norman powell to the blazers all they got back was gary trent and rodney hood rodney hood is no longer with the team not a very good player he's out of the league at this point gary trent is still with them he's fine He's not as good as Norman Powell. Norman Powell's probably having one of his best seasons of his career this year. Um, Been super efficient for the Clippers. Maybe one of the favorites for sixth man of the year. Um, Averaged close to 20 points per game a couple times since leaving um, the Raptors. So not exactly great value there. They swapped Trent for Powell. Um, Trent's a little bit younger, but Powell's obviously the better player. Then that same trade deadline. There was a ton of of rumors that they were going to trade Kyle Lowry because this was a team at the deadline they were 18 and 26 they were the eleven seed they weren't even in the plan at that point they were like looked terrible that year things just weren't going well this is the year I referenced earlier where they were playing in Tampa Bay and it was kind of just a throwaway season for them but Lowry was an impending free agent and he was already getting up there in age into his 30s I think given where the team was in the standings there was an expectation that he likely was not going to re-sign in Toronto. Um, And they could have moved him at that deadline. Uh, The the rumor up until the final minute was that he could have went to the Lakers uh, for an unprotected first-round pick from the Lakers, which I know those picks have been heavily valued by teams over the past few years, so that would have been quite an asset to get. And that was the most valuable Lowry was going to be for the rest of his career. Um, he was still in the back end of his prime to an extent and apparently the hold up why the deal didn't happen is because the Lakers refused to trade Talon Horton Tucker who is not a very good player anyway so from Toronto's side they probably should have just traded him even if it was just for the pick because then in the offseason he does end up leaving and it is a sign and trade with the Heat but the only players that get back are Goran Dragic, who was past his prime at that point and Precious Achua who had a promising rookie year with Miami but they have since traded him away in the OG Ananobi trade, so he's not even with the team anymore. And since they didn't accomplish much over the past few years, they basically traded Lowry for a couple years of Dragic. And <laughs> then the next year, they end up trading Dragic. Um, I, I believe he was like away from the team, and there was all these rumors he was going to get dealt. They trade him with a first-round pick. So they attach a first-round pick to him for Thaddeus Young and a second-round pick. Thaddeus Young, a guy who in three years with Toronto has averaged 4.8 points per game in 15 minutes. And the second round pick they got was used on Christian Coloco, who they just waived in the Siakoub deal. So they basically traded a first round pick and the last asset from the Lowry deal to get a 35-year-old Thaddeus Young who is not even in the rotation. So that is just such a loss in value on that trade there. Then... We go to the next year, the 2023 off uh, off season, or sorry, the deadline. And look at this point, the Raptors are 26 and 30. They're the 10 seed at the deadline. Everyone thinks they should be sellers. And Fred Van Vliet is an impending free agent. Um, There's multiple rumors with a bunch of different teams that would be interested in him. Um, I don't know what they could have got for him, but they could have got something. I would imagine at least a first round pick, if not, maybe a couple seconds and a, a decent young player. But they elect to not only keep Van Vliet, but they turn into buyers and they trade for Jakob Pertl. And they gave up a first round pick and two second round picks for Pertl. So instead of selling and getting something for Van Vliet, they decide to give away a first round pick for Pertl, which is the pick. This pick is actually um, the top seven protected one they have this year um, going to San Antonio which may not convey if they don't um, – or it might uh, convey to San Antonio if they don't end up finishing in the top seven. Um, so, they, yeah, they trade for Pirtle. Van Vleet ends up leaving for nothing in the offseason, so they get nothing for him. Then going into this year, they finally decide to move on Anobi. Um, they trade him with Precious Achua, who is the last piece of that Lowry deal, so they now have nothing from the Lowry deal. They trade away Malachi, and F- Malachi Flynn as well, and in exchange they got – Manuel quickly, R.J. Barrett, and a second-round pick. Then this Siakam trade happens where they get three firsts, Bruce Brown, Jordan War, and Kira Lewis. So in total, since 2019, their core players, they've lost Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green, Marcus Gasol, Serge Ibaka, Norman Powell, Kyle Lowry, Goran Dragic, Fred Van Vliet, Ojean and Pascal Siakam. And in total, for all of those players, we're talking about Kawhi, an All-NBA player. Danny Green, who has four or five rings at this point in his career. Marcus Sola a future Hall of Famer. Serge Ibaka, one of the best uh, role-player big man we've had in the last 10, 15 years. Norman Powell, a likely sixth man of the year candidate this year. Kyle Lowry, maybe the best Raptor in history and probably a Hall of Famer. Goran Dragic, just retired. He made an All-NBA game as well as an All-Star game in his career. So he was very good. Van Vliet was an all-star with the Raptors. OG Ananobi, an all-defensive player, and Siakam a two-time all-NBA player. So a lot of really good players there. And what did they get back in total? Gary Trent, (laughs) R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, Bruce Brown, who they'll probably trade, Jordan Awara, Kira Lewis, and Thaddeus Young. And the worst part of it is one first-round pick they have netted in total. They got three in the um Siakam deal but they dished out two in that span they gave one away with Drogic for Thaddeus Young they gave one away to get Pirtle so they also have Pirtle which ironically enough he was traded away for Kawhi Leonard so they basically got him back so they have received one single first round pick net for all of those players and the best player that they got was either RJ Barrett or Emmanuel quickly depending on how you value those guys Nothing short of a disaster in terms of just the what they got. I mean, they should have traded Van Vliet last year. They should have traded Kyle Lowry when his deal was expiring. They should have traded Siakam earlier when he had no leverage to basically handpick his team. Same with OG Ananobi. Um, they should have held on to Powell and gotten more value for him. Which, by the way, it made no sense that they traded away Powell that offseason, but then were in that midseason, but they refused to trade Lowry either trade both or trade neither. Um, it just makes no sense. They <laughs> they've been poorly run. And the other the other thing is this is a team that's historically drafted well, they, de- they develop players well, but they have not done that well in this same span since 2019. They had no first round pick in 2019, their second round pick, Dewan uh, Hernandez. Has played 28 total NBA minutes out of the league. Then we go to 2020. They spend their first round pick on Malachi Flynn, who they just traded away for Ogunnobi, so no longer on the team. But he also has only career 5.3 points per game, so not a rotation player. Second round pick that year, Jalen Harris, under 200 career minutes in the NBA out of the league. 2021, Scotty Barnes was fourth overall, so they get a. Lot. I will give them a ton of credit for that because that was not the popular pick at the time. Almost every big board had. Jalen Suggs as the uh, better player and they went against the grain took Scotty Barnes obviously the better move Suggs has played pretty well this year but he's in a completely different stratosphere from from Scotty Barnes who looks like a guy who's probably going to be a perennial all-star when he's in his prime so kudos to them there but then second round that year Delano Blanton they let him walk in free agency this year he's no longer with the team Um, as well as David Johnson, who they took one pick after him, who played two total minutes in the NBA and is out of the league. Then we go to 2022, no first round pick that year. So they traded that one away. Um, second round, they took, uh, Christian Coloco 33rd overall. So he actually looked pretty good, um, stints, but they just waived him to do the Siakam deal. They had to cut him and it, it actually looks like his career might be in jeopardy because he has a blood clot issue that was announced recently. Um, and then 2023, they took Grady Dick 13th overall, who it is probably too early to say because, I mean, he's only, what, 40 games into his career, but he looks like a he looks like a bust. I mean, he was supposed to be the best shooter in this draft, and he's shooting only 27% from three and 30% from the field, and he's bad defensively as well. He just looks too frail, and his shot has not translated. I know he's still young, but Yeah. They probably had better players on the board they could have taken. So in that same span, they had drafted one single player that seemed even like he's going to be an NBA player or at least a rotation player in Scotty Barnes, which was a great pick. But to have one player in five years that is even worth being on your roster and to dump all of those guys for one total net first-round pick plus R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly. I mean, it is just... They've been so poorly run since this championship. And we've talked about this for a year that uh Maasai has just been too stingy at times. But when you look at it, it, it's even worse than than you think. Um and he gets the he got his ring, but he better start making some moves. Seriously. That clock is ticking. You don't get to ride one title for the rest of your career. Like I guess if you're Duck Rivers, you kind of get to do. So <laughs> But the point is uh, at least they picked a direction. That's all I'll say. I'll stop ranting. They picked a direction, which is really all you could ask for. But now it's time for them to actually start drafting well. It's time for them to not hoard players until they lose all value or lose them for nothing. Um, so they need to trade Schroeder. They need to trade Pertle. They need to probably trade Gary Trent. Um, and then maybe in a couple of years when Scotty Barnes is in his prime, they can start to work their way back towards the playoffs. Cause honestly, RJ Barrett has played pretty well for them quickly has played well for them and they can probably get something for Bruce Brown. So, but we shall see, um, overall, okay deal for Toronto. At least they picked a side. The fact they could have traded him for nothing or like a sec, not nothing, but very little. And it would have been still better than what they did with Lowry, better than what they did with Van Vliet. Um, but yeah, fun deal. Looking forward to Indiana. Looking forward to see uh, him and Hal Burton play together. Really excited to see how good they can be. I'm really excited to see how much better they can be defensively because they've just been atrocious. So can they even just be kind of average now? That's going to make a massive difference with how good their offense is. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Sean Jones NBA show. Thank you so much for listening. Rumors are running crazy over the past week or so a lot of guys expected to be moved to murray um zach levine we'll see maybe demar derozan has an expiring deal um role players like alex Caruso. i know i'm just naming bulls players but maybe they should take a hint from the raptors um <laughs> but yeah regardless uh i anticipate a lot of trades over the next few weeks so there's going to be a lot to talk about not only uh, just about those deals but how it affects the uh outlook in the league in terms of championship contenders um as well as we we've hit the midway point so it's officially the time of year where we can start to legitimately evaluate teams um all if there was anyone who got up to a weirdly hot start like the the rockets they've cooled down teams that struggled early like the suns are starting to play a little bit better um so we can really start to see who's emerging as true contenders. So I'm going to talk through all this stuff over the next few weeks. Um, but with that being said, thank you so much for listening and we will chat soon. Thanks.